If pharma costs continue to eat larger and larger percentages of overall spend, plans need to optimize medication therapy. What's that all about? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. With pharmacy driving an ever larger cost of overall claims, and we've talked about that a lot on the podcast, it's important to have new and innovative solutions and different ways of looking at the problem. And that's why we invited Mike Casehob. Mike is CEO at CHC Health. And they have some solutions for optimizing medication therapy, and and he's really a student of this area of the business. So we invited Mike on to share some of his wisdom with us. Hey, Mike. Hey, David. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So, you know, a service like yours, can you help us level set where in the PBM to patient continuum does what you guys and other firms like you, where do you fit? Yeah, so we can fit multiple different places. So we can work directly with a PBM. We can work directly with a TPA or a self-insured employer. And so what we've primarily have focused on is medication optimization, where we will work directly with a patient and their caregivers, so their physician or anybody else within that care continuum to help engage with that patient, make sure they understand what medications should they be taking, focusing on adherence. But oftentimes we're finding drug therapy problems that the patient wasn't even aware of, then working directly with their physician to help kind of resolve some of those issues, such as being on too many medications or maybe inappropriate medications. Also, we can look at it from a cost perspective too. Oftentimes, we're finding patients that might be on a a higher tier, so maybe they're on a third tier medication, and there may be some more cost alternatives for that patient to help save them some money, also the health plan or their employer's money then too. Also, you know, maybe a medication's not on formulary, and we can help get those patients switched over. So we're finding there's, you know, this is a pretty significant issue. I mean, if you look at it in the U.S., it's about a $528 billion a year problem where medications are not being optimized. You know, as I talk to folks about medication and medication management, we actually have a negative return on investment on medications in the U.S. So for every dollar we spend on a medication, we spend another $1.17 to reverse the effects of that medication. And oftentimes, you know, you've got patients that are, you know, being hospitalized or going into the ER because of medication-related problems. If you look at even readmission rates, so if a patient's been released from the hospital, more than 50% of the time, they get readmitted back into the hospital within 30 days 
due to a medication-related issue. Um, about 50% of the time that happens. So it is a, it's a pretty significant and a, a challenging problem. And we feel like as pharmacists, and that's you know my background, I am a pharmacist. I've been in pharmacy for 30 plus years. We are medication experts. That's what we went to pharmacy school to do is to learn how to manage medications of working with physicians and, and patients on, on helping engage them to ensure that they are on the optimized amount of medications that they really should be on. And uh, so that's really what our focus has been on. And we think that there's a lot of opportunities, especially as medications become even more involved and more complex. And you're starting to see more and more patients being placed on multiple medications and having multiple uh, comorbidities or other chronic conditions that they're dealing with, we feel like pharmacists are in a great position to help those patients um, manage those medications and making sure that they're on a safe uh, amount of medications and also understanding why should they be taking those medications. So that kind of in a nutshell is what we're really trying to focus on from in the world of uh, medication management, at least. Since you've got the providers in your mix already, do you do a lot of work? I know the University of Arkansas, I think, is where most of the, the work on pharmacological equivalents came from. Is that something that you talk to the docs about? Because usually they prescribe what they're used to prescribing. And just from a cost standpoint, I'll talk about the efficacy thing in, in a moment. Do you, is that something that enters into your conversations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're looking at all of those those different metrics. And so we will be looking at, you know, even the pharmacogenomics as far as like what is that that genetic profile for that patient then too. So we've got some clients where we've got that insight into whether this medication from a genetic perspective makes sense for that patient or should there be other medications that they're on. So we're really trying to look holistically at that patient and get a better understanding of what's all going on with that that patient. And also be considered too Oftentimes, patients are going to multiple different physicians, so they may be going to an endocrinologist and a nephrologist or other types of ologists, you know, and and trying to mm-hmm. coordinate all of that. And oftentimes, physicians feel like, well, this is this. I've got some guardrails. This is my lane. I need to stay in because I'm focused on this and I'm the specialist for this. And then the family practice physician gets involved, but then they, they're kind of like, well, what do I do? Or can I make this change? Or, you know, there gets to be some kind of challenges with that. So we feel again, as a clinical pharmacist, we can come in and help coordinate all that and say, here's what our recommendations are based upon what our knowledge is and and helping kind of focus on those types of things too, which I think is pretty interesting from a medical home for that patient to really help them manage it. And also from the physician standpoint, they, you know, they find value in that too, because, you know, most physicians, if you look at it in, in medical school, they generally only get about a semester of pharmacology. So a, kind of a, a semester of how do medications work and, and that kind of stuff. A lot of the medication knowledge they have is really more on the job or during the residencies and some of that type of stuff. And so that does lend where pharmacists, you know, we've got many years, you know, six, eight years of, of pharmacist related training. So we can kind of help them as far as which medications are the best alternatives and, and what should they really be prescribing for those patients then too. I know the cost on pharmacogenetic testing has come way down. Is is there a certain price point at which it, it enters into the picture or is it in certain classes of drugs where you'd go that route? Yeah, it definitely has come down. I mean, you're probably going to see the the number go down even more over the next few years here too, but it's getting to that price point now where we're seeing more employers that are saying, yeah, we want to offer this to all of our employees. There's also different companies out there that can take RX claims data, kind of spin that up and say, okay, here's kind of what you would expect from an ROI if you rolled out a, a pharmacogenomics program within your membership within that population too. So yeah, you're definitely seeing 
more focus on that. I think a really good example with pharmacogenomics is around antidepressants in particular. So there's a class of antidepressants called SSRIs. And generally, you want to try to not switch patients on those medications a lot. So, And unfortunately, with depression, you generally kind of have to just start that patient on a medication and see if that works. You know, if it's not working within four to six weeks, and maybe try to switch them to something else. Well, the challenge is the more you switch that the less efficacious that whole class becomes. And so ideally, if you can use pharmacogenomics to say this patient's genetics really show that we should probably start this patient on this medication and even at this dose, there's just it, it can really save a lot of um, time, money, and then also just efficacy for those patients then too. Yeah, it does seem as one of those places where everybody wins. So when a service such as yours enters a plan, do you start looking at for folks with multiple chronic conditions who are likely taking multiple meds, or do you do this across the board? How do you direct your efforts? Yeah, so, I mean, it's multifaceted. It really depends on that patient population and also kind of what the client's looking for, too. You know, we've had, in a particular, we've, we've had a, a client recently that's a very large teacher's union that they've really wanted to focus on de-prescribing or help helping get their members off multiple medications because there's a, a huge concern with what's kind of this cascade event that can happen that as you add more and more medications to a patient's regimen, there can be even more drug therapy problems and more adverse drug reactions that go along with that. And so that group in particular is really focused on how do we get their members off all these multiple medications. So that's, you know, again, it's it's kind of focused on whatever the client is looking for, but generally, you know, we're looking for those patients that are on, again, multiple medications, multiple comorbidities, and also maybe if they're having a lot of hospitalizations or ER visits and some of those types of things too. I mean, you can have, say for an example, a member or a patient that, you know, has had to go into the ER multiple different times and maybe it's due to migraines. Maybe that's the only issue they have is migraines, but as you're digging into it and looking at their their medications, maybe they're not on anything for prophylaxis for migraines. So sometimes it's not always the patients are on the, the most number of medications or even some of the most expensive medications. We're trying to really look at overall what's going on with those patients and, our, and who should we be focusing on that. So it's kind of a myriad of, uh, I guess, different ways of looking at it. And now, a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion. So we've, we've talked a bunch about the patient experience, but of course, you know, plans have to act in the best interest of plans, at least according to our, our friends in, who, who are the, all the ERISA attorneys in the universe. <laughs> yep. What kind of a delta in cost savings does this end up being for employers? 
Yeah. So there's, there's lots of different data that's out there kind of showing what an ROI looks like back for an employer or a health plan, whoever's kind of paying for that. You know, you'll see anywhere from two times ROI to 10, 15 times ROI. It really just depends on which study you're looking at and what all are the, the, the metrics that they are looking at there too. I think another component that you know, the, the employers in particular looking at is kind of what is that employee experience and kind of the warm and fuzzy a little bit too, that, you know, hey, my employer's kind of looking out for me. They're helping me. Um, it's also some of those indirect costs that go along with, hey, if I can make sure our patients that maybe are our um, employees that, you know, maybe are having depression issues, if we can make sure they're on the right medications and they feel supported, they're more likely to show up to work and be productive. And, and some of those types of metrics too, that sometimes are a little harder to, to get to, but just from a hard, you know, hard drug cost or from a hard um, likelihood that patient would have had a hospitalization or ER visit because of our, because we didn't interact with that patient, you know, kind of that cost savings associated with that. Again, you're seeing anywhere from, you know, three times, 10 times, it really kind of depends on what all you're looking at then too, and, and how you're kind of coming up with some of those numbers. Well, the new, the new battleground for a lot of stuff is user experience. I mean, I think when you boil down all of this stuff, it, because we've, we've all focused around the engagement process and how we increase engagement and you increase engagement. I, the only way that anybody's ever proven to me that you can increase engagement is by having a really great user experience. So while, while we're talking about that a little bit, how do you go to users? Does a clinician reach out? Do they get some kind of a communication from their employer or from the plan or what's that process like and what can they expect? Yeah. And there's multiple ways and we have kind of a multi-pronged approach. So uh, oftentimes there's going to be kind of a letter campaign or some sort of postcard campaign that lets the employer employee know what, you know, what to expect, what the program is. HR will be sending out information. They may have some information in their break room, you know, some of that kind of stuff then too. And so what we will also do is really going to be more of like outbound campaigns, outbound calling campaigns. It can be SMS or text messaging some of those types of ways to kind of engage with those patients. Some of our clients or folks that we've worked with, they have their own app, you know, uh, member engagement apps. And so we can tie in directly to those messaging can go out there. We can do inbound calls also. So there's multiple different ways of doing that. Oftentimes too, especially some of the larger employer groups, they may have their own maybe like population health nurses that they, they work with. Um, so a lot of times we'll integrate directly with those nurses and work hand in hand with them. So if they have patients are having a lot of medication related issues, they hand them over to us. And then also as we're engaging with patients, if, or members, if there are services that the population health nurses are offering, then we can, you know, kind of refer them over to them. And, and that really has worked out well. We can go hand in hand with with um, solutions that the employers already has in place. So you mentioned uh, early on in our conversation, adherence. How big a problem is adherence and how do you go about helping that? Yeah, so I see adherence as a twofold issue. So, you know, everybody talks about, okay, we got to make sure the patients are taking the medications, you know, as they're prescribed and what they should be taking. And, and my focus or what we've tried to focus on is, Yes, we want to make sure patients are adherent, but we want to make sure they're adherent to the right drug therapy. So we really don't, if, if patients aren't on a good drug therapy or if they're on medications they really shouldn't be on, we really don't want them to be adherent on that. So the first thing we really want to do is 
you really try to clean that patient up and make sure does does this drug therapy make sense? Is this the the optimized drug therapy for that patient? And then after that, then really focus on adherence. And adherence can be impacted by so many different things. I mean, costs of course are very important. You know, if a patient you know, has a medication, it's going to cost them $500 a month and they just can't afford it, but we can help them get on something that's, you know, $50 a month or whatever. Some of those adherence related issues that can help there too. But ultimately a lot of the research has shown adherence is driven primarily by the patient's their likelihood that they feel like this is an important medication for them to be taking and that there's a reason for them to be taking it. So a good example is, say, for example, like blood pressure medication. Oftentimes, people don't feel that they have high blood pressure. That's not something generally you feel. So it's it's a little harder for people to be adherent on that, where a pain medication, if you're in pain and you take a medication and that pain goes away, you're much more adherent on those medications too. So what we try to really focus on is making sure the patient understands why are they taking the medication, what, you know, what's that reason for that, and, and what, what can happen if they don't take that medication, not to scare a patient, but to make them feel like they've got buy-in into it. Really, the model has changed. For years, it was really focused on, you know, I'm the physician, do what I say, take the medication because, you know, I told you to do it, and kind of more of a wagging my finger at, at, at patients. And we've really learned that by focusing on more kind of motivational interviewing with that patient and getting an idea of what what are challenges for that patient and then trying to craft that regimen around that. So if cost is a really big issue, then we focus on that. If there are, you know, issues with maybe a patient forgets to take their medications at bedtime because they get really sleepy and they end up falling asleep, you know, in their chair or whatever, then maybe we can switch when they're taking those medications. So it's trying to really customize and, and optimize that therapy to impact that adherence. And, and again, it's got to be patients buy-in. And if because if they're if they don't believe they need to take the medication, they're not going to take it. And that's really what adherence boils down to in a nutshell. Pharmacists may be the last respected segment of the entire medical establishment. (laughs) How important is it to have that kind of white coat authority, for lack of a better phrase, when you're dealing with folks or to have only highly trained clinicians dealing with these folks as opposed to just having something like a, a concierge type service? Yeah. I mean, I think pharmacists in general are in a pretty unique place because we're pretty accessible. If you think about where most pharmacists work, you know, it's going to be in a a retail setting. You know, most patients are within five miles of a a retail pharmacy. And there's a lot of value to that for sure. We're very accessible. You know, oftentimes patients, you know, that we pharmacies might be kind of the, the first line of defense. So if a patient's got an issue, they might walk, you know, go into their local pharmacy and say, well, I've got this issue. What do I need to be doing? And so we do a lot of triaging with that. Pharmacists have traditionally also been, to your point, one of the the highest respected healthcare professionals. You know, nurses are always right up there. Physicians are too. But pharmacists have consistently been seen as kind of the the good guys within healthcare and and really trusted. And and I think we've got a, a great ability to develop relationships with those patients. And that's something we've always focused on. For us, as a profession, communication and counseling uh, patients on their medications is so important because that's that's really what we do. And so I think we do a nice job of trying to engage with those patients, again, from a motivational perspective and, and make sure that they feel like they're part of the solution and it's not a, a hierarchy where we're at the top and we're telling them what to be doing. We, we really want it to feel like it's a it's a yin and a yang kind of approach with, with, with patients as much as we possibly can. 
Well, that top-down thing is is working less and less. I mean, years ago when I was just a a straight commission salesperson and out talking to folks, I had a lot of doctors as clients, and I was I was quite lucky to do that. But one of my docs, one of my very first clients when I was living down in Miami, told me this thing that I've never forgotten. He said, "Doctors will get off their pedestal when patients get off their knees," and that <laughs> that relationship with the physicians is starting to change. And that's I think a generational shift. But it seems as though pharmacists have always held that kind of respected position in amongst all of that stuff. But enough pontificating. We've got a couple of minutes left. I'm wondering, what do you see in the future? We've talked a lot about the present and maybe some futuristic stuff. For, for some folks, the pharmacogenomic testing and, and pharmaceutical equivalents may be new things they haven't heard of. Where do you see this going in the next five, 10 years? I think one of the first things that's really, from my perspective, I think COVID has opened up a lot of eyes around telehealth and what that looks like. I think if you would ask most people a few years ago or even a year ago, you know, what is telehealth or what's telemedicine? You know, there, it, most people didn't know what it was or there really wasn't a lot of focus on that. But now that COVID has, has come around, I think telehealth is something everybody is really focused on. And, and, you know, we've been a virtualized telehealth solution for, for years. So we've, of course, always kind of been, you know, very, uh, excited about th- those opportunities to come along with that. I think you're going to see more patients engaging with their physicians and other healthcare professionals through telehealth. I think if there's opportunities for a patient to say, well, you know, if I don't have to go into my physician to see them, if I can do this from the comfort of my own home and, you know, I'm not going to get exposed to you know, potentially other viruses or bacteria that might be in the waiting room and that kind of stuff. I think you're going to see more and more patients looking for that convenience and just another way for them to get their health care. I also think you're going to see more and more employees and and patients being seen as more consumers of healthcare as they are taking on a more responsibility with what needs to be paid for. You know, in, traditionally where you saw, you know, employers paying for the vast majority of all healthcare costs and you know, it really didn't matter, you know, my copay was $5 or $10 regardless of whether I got a really expensive medication or a really cheap one. Well, now you're seeing those costs focus uh, or be shifted more towards those employees. And I think you're going to see more employers focusing on how do I get those tools into my employees' hands so that they're making good choices. So that, you know, if they're going to get a, a CT scan, they're going to be going to a high quality, you know, facility to get that CT scan, but also making sure that, you know, it's it's a $300 CT and it's not, you know, being spent $5,000 or something like that. I think that's going to be really around the transparency we're going to see in healthcare. You're going to see more and more of that where, again, employees are going to be more consumers of healthcare and, and making better better choices. And I think we in the healthcare profession need to get ahead of that and make sure that we're being as transparent as possible because, you know, we're really one of the few industries where you can go in any physician's office and you ask or pharmacy, you know, how much is this going to cost? And they say, well, I don't know until I bill it to your insurance. It's crazy. I mean, no other industries, I, I couldn't go buy a car and say, well, how much is this car going to cost? I say, well, I don't know until, you know, I, I run it through your insurance and we'll let you know later after you bought the car in 30 days, we'll let you know. So healthcare is really kind of behind the times with that. And, and I'm hoping to see more transparency here in the future, just so people are able to make good choices with what their healthcare costs are going to be. Well, if all that stuff comes to pass, it will lift all the boats. And that's a great place to end our conversation today. We hope you'll come back. Mike Kasob, CEO at CHC Health. Mike, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with the audience. Thanks, David. I appreciate your time. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.